Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. And a great good afternoon to you and yours. Welcome aboard on this middle of the week, Wednesday, September 28th, the year 2022. Hope you're having a great day. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Chamber of Commerce Day. Our thoughts and prayers to those uh, to our east in the state of Florida as Ian is uh, bearing down on Naples and the Tampa Bay area and all up into up into that part of the world. So our thoughts and prayers for them and all those involved um, in the path of this storm. We know it all too well, and we understand the severity of it and only can hope and pray that it uh, gets in, gets out as quickly as possible with as little damage as is humanly possible. And it's a cat fiver, and uh, that means winds up to 155, 57 miles per hour. So, whoo. That, that is kind of uh, scary. My main man, James Mesh, back in the master control suite in the game studios. He's spinning the tunes, pushing all the buttons, making sure everything running smoothly and surely. Um, and he's on the campus of uh, Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on in Lake Charles on 1041 we're streaming around the world, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. And if you happen to be in the Acadiana area, well, uh, pop on your television set because we are simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. Did you miss the headlines of the day? Not to worry. The Blonde Bomber has you covered. Here is Holtberg's headlines. Looks like there's going to be a yet another combination for the LSU offensive line as they get ready to head to Auburn. Sophomore offensive lineman Garrett Dellinger is doubtful. Uh, he underwent surgery Tuesday uh, to repair a hand injury. Um you know, he's got a screw and a plate that needed to go into the hand. Uh, how he could possibly play Saturday, I, I just can't fathom. I cannot fathom that. Um, he started the last three games at left guard after playing center in the season opening loss to Florida State. He's played center, guard, and tackle to his career. The Athletic first reported Dellinger broke his hand this week and would miss the Auburn game. Without Dellinger, LSU will have to use a different starting offensive line for the fourth time in five games. You realize that the Tigers played the same group in back-to-back games for the first time this season last weekend when they followed up the Mississippi State game with the New Mexico game. Brian Kelly, the head coach, said LSU would move redshirt sophomore Miles Frazier from right to left guard if Dellinger misses time. And then the team would then have a couple of options at right guard, starting with redshirt junior Anthony Bradford. So stay tuned for that one. We will discuss the LSU Tigers coming up at around 2.15 with a former defensive lineman, part of a national championship team, 
He was on the scout squad with the New Orleans Saints when they won the Super Bowl. It's my favorite favorite. Marlon Favorite will join us at around 2.15. We'll welcome in Al Salas to talk about the New Orleans Saints as they are in England. They practice today, and uh, the big news coming out of that, Jameis Winston uh, was not present during practice today. It was veteran Andy Dalton who took the first team reps under center with Taysom Hill also receiving some reps as a reserve quarterback. Uh, this is a change in how the team has operated in recent weeks. So, in other words, Taysom Hill hasn't had any snaps at quarterback. It's been Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, plain and simple. Uh, following practice, head coach Dennis Allen confirmed that Winston did not practice, noting it was a rest day for the quarterback to ensure he remains healthy. Allen also anticipates that Winston will be back on the field Thursday. Uh, so so we, we shall see what happens there as the Saints are now three-point underdogs um, in London for that 8.30 a.m. start. Al Salas will give us more updates on that as the week goes on. Um, in the SEC, we'll delve around that in hour number two with Blake Lavelle from at 14 Southeastern. Um, Brian Harson, the head coach of Auburn, updated the status of his quarterbacks uh, at the SEC coaches media teleconference today. He said that TJ Finley, the ex-LSU Tiger, returned to practice on Tuesday, but his status for the LSU game this week is still uncertain. According to Harson, quote, he was out there yesterday. He's day-to-day. We'll see how he goes today and what it looks like. Um, the other quarterback has continued to practice well. We feel good about our practice and some of the things we're doing with that position in particular. Um, so we'll see. Auburn has controlled the series in Auburn with LSU recently. LSU has won only twice on the plane since 2010, with both of those victories coming in narrow fashion, 12-zip back in 2012, 22-21 back in 2018. Auburn has won two straight overall in the series. So we'll talk about the SEC with Blake Lavelle starting off the 3 o'clock area. And then my good friend, fingers crossed, Mike Huguenin, who lives in Orlando. He is right in the path of Ian. Um, maybe later on this evening, tomorrow morning, uh, hopefully Mike will be able to join us at his normal time slot. There's some really, really good uh, good college football games uh, this weekend, and we'll pick them all going up against the spread um, and, and get his thoughts on that one. Kentucky's at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a six-and-a-half-point favorite in this one, um, and this line has moved around a bit, but it's ticking toward a touchdown advantage in the Rebels' favor. Uh, Ole Miss averages 280.8 yards per game on the ground. Kentucky averages just 81 game, yards per game on the ground. Um Chris Rodriguez Jr., his pending return, does that close the gap? Well, we'll see. Um, if the Rebels can take care of business at home, uh, we shall see about that. Uh, that's just one of the good games uh, in the SEC this weekend. Another game of really intrigue to me is number 22, Wake Forest, at number 23, Florida State. The Seminoles are six-point home favorites in this one. 
Um, how does Wake bounce back from that double overtime loss against Clemson? Uh I got to believe Wake is good enough to pull off an upset here, but they've lost their last five trips to Doak Campbell Stadium. They just don't play well there. Uh, So we'll see what happens there. Can Arkansas give any trouble to Alabama? Alabama's a 15-and-a-half road favorite in this one. Arkansas allows over 300 yards per game against the pass. So what does Alabama do very well with Bryce Young? They throw the ball around the yard. So I think Alabama, we'll get our picks later, but I I like Alabama in this one a lot. And then maybe the upset uh, or not, depending upon who you think, Mississippi State's a three-point home favorite over 17th-ranked Texas A&M. Um a three-point underdog. Mississippi State won last year, 26-22 in College Station. Um, Aggies offense hadn't moved the ball that much. I don't know. I don't know why the line is as it is, but we shall see. So we'll talk about all those games and more uh, with Mike Huguenin of uh, On3.com. Still no home run for Aaron Judge, I mean to tell you, he's still stuck on 60, and they keep walking him. Five plate appearances last night. They walked him four times. Um, It wasn't intentional walks, but they are sure pitching gingerly to him. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Uh, We've got a dead-even Stephen National League East race with the New York Mets and the Atlanta Braves, both 97 wins and 58 losses. The Mets lost last night. The Braves have won four in a row. Man, this thing is a uh, we, we've got a race, and that that's great for the last week of the Major League Baseball season. Every other division is basically wrapped up, including my St. Louis Cardinals, who clinched the division. Uh, with a seven-and-a-half game lead over the Milwaukee Brewers. lost The Dodgers had clinched theirs a long time ago. Uh, the Astros have clinched. They're at 102-53, and second-best record in baseball, and uh, solidly ahead of the New York Yankees for home field advantage throughout these playoffs, um, depending upon how far they go. So, And home field's been very good to... Um, the Astros, they're 51 and 23 inside Minute Maid Park this season. Uh, so, and they've got some, a lot more home games to come, uh, before this season comes to a close as they've played 155 games. They've got seven games to go. Um, so yeah, major league baseball coming down to the fun, fun time. All right. So our guest list, uh, Marlon Favorite talking LSU. Al Salas talking the New Orleans Saints. Blake Lavelle will go around the SEC. Michael Huguenin will join us, talk all things college football with the picks of the biggest games of the weekend. So I think we got you covered from A to Z. You know, it's time to kill two birds with one stone, help a good cause, do some early holiday shopping. The Opelousas St. Landry Rotary Club auction will be held on Tuesday on KDCG Channel 50.2 over air. Cox 9, Charter 11, LUS 2020, uh, 22. 
Uh, the auction begins at 6 p.m., and viewers can bid on a variety of items, including gift cards, vacation packages, sporting goods, home decor, memorabilia, and much more. All proceeds go to worthy causes, and items can go for pennies on the dollar. So make sure to tune in for the Opelousas St. Landry Rotary Club auction on Tuesday on KDCG. We'll take our first time out of the day. When we come back, Marlon Favright. Hello, somebody. Talking Tigers here on the Jordy Helper Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, LSU traveling to Auburn as a unprecedented nine-point road favorite over the Tigers on the Plains. Um, he is part of the LSU game day radio crew, the former defensive lineman stalwart on a national championship team, part of the New Orleans Saints Super Bowl winning team. Hello, somebody. My main man, Marlon Favorite, joining us. It's been too long, my friend. How the heck are you? Man, all is well, baby. Hello, somebody. Th- thanks for having me on, Jordan. Three, three, seven. What's happening, baby? The Flash know what's happening. They let me out there, and I love them back. <laughs> you liking this radio stuff, man? You you enjoying that? I am. I, I really am enjoying radio for a number of reasons. It keeps me around the game, right? So yeah. it's still important for me to uh, not only pay attention to my Tigers, but other SEC teams other NFL teams, high school football. I have a, a, a my oldest son is, is playing at a prep school in Mississippi. So it, it's yeah. just a it keeps me around the game and, and, and I can talk about it. So one thing about me and, and I've I've known it from the number of uh interviews I've got from you at LSU, you know I don't mind doing this and that's running my mouth. Watch out there now. <laughs> I love it. So um what do you think of this LSU football team now, uh through four games? I think they're de- they're developing, and I put the ing on the end of it because you see it each week. You see a team knock the rust off in the first game against Florida, and that that was the LSU team you saw in the fourth quarter, right? Because that's yeah. all we saw since playing against Southern. There was a lot of questions because of the Florida State game. What we're going to be able to do against Mississippi State? We performed well against Mississippi State, um, a- along with. The performance we put out defensively, shutting a credible BCS school down, thirty-eight nothing. Now going on to the road against Auburn this weekend is going to say a lot, you know, about this team with road environments. So all of the mm-hmm. last games we've played has been at home, including the Superdome game against Florida State. That's right. So That's it's going to be the first real test to take the show on the road, and, I, and I'm confident that they'll do exceptionally well. Fond memories of uh, when you played it uh, against Auburn in uh, Jordan Hare. Oh, it's, it's tons of memories, but but for me, I, th- I think the one that sticks out the most is, is back in '06. Um, that game was very personal uh, to me. At the same time, wanting us to win, and then we lost. But it was a turning point for our, our defensive line: uh, myself, Glenn Dorsey, Tyson Jackson, Ricky Jean Francois, L. Woods. Like, we all had to man up for that game. And 
you know, I think it was like maybe two or three guys got defensive player of the week that week for the SEC. We lost that game 7-6 to Auburn, hot Auburn. Yeah. It was just brutal. The funny thing about that game, I can remember um, what's still there. I don't I don't get to go up to the coach's office as much, but they're like flashback pictures of the Tigers um, when we played. And I always remember like me taking the center and just piling him into the quarterback. And someone, I don't know who took that beautiful picture, took a still shot of it. And I'm like, that just talked about the grid and, and, and where we were in that game. So this is a game I'm excited about this weekend. Myself, Hunt, and Brandon will be on LSU Sports Radio during the pre- and post-game, and I'm just so excited about this matchup and to see the team on the road finally. I, I've got to admit, I, this defense has has improved incrementally week to week to week, and I was really concerned when Mason Smith went out early uh, on that defensive line that you know and love so well. Uh, how has LSU done this? How how have they gotten better week by week and picks a shutout? I don't care who you play against. You pick a shutout in modern college football with the way the rules are. You're doing a heck of a job. You are. Pitching a shutout is huge, and, and it starts with Matt House on the defense and him being able to have these guys more. Um, each month matters, right? This is an entire new staff. So yep. – the more and more he learned his players, get his players healthy. You get Jay Ward back this week. Uh, really puts puts our team in a in a really, I would like to say, awesome position. Just based off of the way the rotation we have up front, the different looks that we give from the linebacker position. You know, Harold Perkins was awesome last last week and yeah. the week before. Um, yeah. You know, using being creative with Micah Baskerville. Um, Moving Greg Brooks and Jay Ward, switching those guys out, just, again, learning your players and seeing, putting them in the best position to be successful, Jordy, I think that's the most important piece I've seen on defense. And it's coaches' assistants as well. They're doing an excellent job across the board on defense. I'm with you. Uh, Marlon Favorite with us. Um, you know, the Harold Perkins scenario just seems like he has earned the trust of the coaching staff, and with that, they're putting him in more positions where – He's living up to that five-star bill as a recruit. He is, uh, slowly but surely. And, again, you have a freshman that's getting a lot of action like that. That says a lot. It's a number of things we see with that. I and mean, it's even with some rookies in, the, rookies in the NFL. They don't always, the first and second rounders don't always get an ample amount of playing time. A uh, good friend of mine, family friend, uh, Evan Neal, my, my, my homeboy, good friend from high school, Ian Kennard, that that's his that's his brother in law, right? Uh-huh. He had a, a night the other night against Demar- Demarcus Lawrence from the Dallas Cowboys defensive end. He's learning. You you have to experience that. And for Harold, for him to come in as a freshman and make the impact he did in a meaningful game such as against Mississippi State, and to to continue to improve in that area says a lot about the rapport he built with the coaches. One, two, you know, just again the skill set and the football IQ of a young player uh, of that age. Marlon favorite with us. Uh, what are your impressions of uh, Jalen Daniels at quarterback? You ever heard of a song that uh, goes a little something like this? You got to know when to hold on. Yeah, <laughs> know when to fold on. You know that, that song, right? You remember that song now? I, I, I remember Kenny Rogers, sure. 
Kenny Rogers a gambler. Well, my man Jay Daz, I call him the scrambler, baby. He can scramble. He can move in that pocket. He can he can move around in that pocket, uh, Jordy. He has the ability to extend plays with his feet. That's a that's a plus for the Tigers. You know, no you know, doubt. you think of like a Ryan Paralu, a, a a Jordan Jefferson in recent years, uh you have a Joe, Joey Burroughs could extend their, the, the pocket with their feet, and he has that. Now, a lot of times, that's the only thing we have. Yeah. The, the NFL right now is screaming the best quarterback in the NFL right now on this week three is Lamar Jackson. Why? Because by number, at the start of the season, he's doing it on his feet and through the air. We're, I'm not saying that Jaden Daniels is Lamar Jackson. I'm not, not at no. all. But no. – that ability, that playmaking ability to extend the play, give your receivers a little time to let the routes develop, especially with a developing offensive line, right? You have two yeah. freshmen starting on the end and Emory Jones from Cali High and big big Will uh, Will Campbell from up north. I'm gonna put the F on, you know what I'm saying? Hello somebody. So <laughs> you, you need a quarterback that can be mobile. So so I, I think that that's the, in the first few weeks with the Tigers, that's the most impressive thing I've seen out of the uh, out of the young quarterback. I'm with you 100%, and I'm close to saying it's it's a short sample size. I think he might be the best running quarterback LSU's had. I think he's I think he's better at running it than Paralu. He's certainly quicker, certainly quicker than Jordan Jefferson was. Um, Joey Joey B only ran when he was absolutely forced to, but this guy they use him to run to pick up first downs, and uh, I, I think he might be the best running quarterback LSU's had. And he's throwing the ball pretty darn well too. It's arguably it's arguably true. I mean, you you have a uh, Herb Tyler. If we, if we ought to go into the archives of, yeah, of quarterback yeah. LSU that's mobile. Ryan is the guy that's throwing that conversation, and, and of course, you know, by this was this wasn't by design. I mean, that Texas A and M game. Was a record-setting game for Joe Burrow because I mean, it's just the score, the amount of yards, the You're right. area of Brumfield fill on in for us a lot last year and this year on LSU Sports Radio, and that was one of the more interesting stories he told me about Joey B in 2018 after that game. Like he was just in the locker room, passed out. He he left it all on the field. So for Jaden Daniels, for you know Car- uh, for Cortez Hankton and that entire offensive staff to really funnel the offensive calls through him. Like, it's a part of the game plan. So that's impressive. You know, in in, in past years, you had our offense surrounded by Leonard Fournette, our offense surrounded by Joe Burrow, uh, uh, Darius Geis um, in his last two years at LSU, you know, Kevin Fulton, if we want to, you know, go back into the archives. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have guys where, okay, his plays, his go-to plays are going to hit home for us. And, we're back at a quarterback, an athletic quarterback, and Jaden Daniels. We could say the same about. I really like him. I like him a lot. Marlon Favorite. I've always liked Marlon Favorite. What as a defensive lineman, does it mean anything whatsoever that LSU is going to have to start yet another uh, set of offensive linemen now that Garrett Dellinger looks like he's not going to play after he had some hand surgery? So now they're going to uh, they're going to have to piecemeal this thing together. Miles Frazier. Is going to move from right guard to left guard, uh, leaving the right guard position open for maybe an Anthony Bradford. So you got the two bookend freshman tackles. You got uh, Turner at center, but the guards keep changing back and forth. Does that do anything as far as a defense and their and their approach and their preparation for a game like this? Well, for the defensive line, it works in our advantage, 
right? You have guys playing in a different position that they've played in before that may have gotten comfortable in the first few games, and due to injuries, you have to move some experienced guys around. So, uh, of course, our defensive line coach in our meetings that sometimes go over an hour and a half, two hours sometimes, watch out there now. Come on now, coach. It's time for a little snack before we get on the field now. Come on now. In those meetings, we're looking at that. Hey, here's who they're going to we'll pull a high school film. And this is this guy, especially if it's a freshman that's just playing, so we yeah. can figure out different advantages we can have, any, any intangible we can put on our end um, from a defensive line. So this week, and, and the Saints is kind of in the same boat. We're going to have to be creative with John Aaron this week. We're going to have to be creative with uh, with um, uh, Kane and Again, we, we're still checking the status of, of Goodwin to make sure he's okay for this game. But our stable of backs, Washington, and, you know, we're going to have to probably use a little extra protection from them to buy yeah. time for the routes to develop. Because our run-pass option game is going to be amazing in, 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 this, in this particular game because, again, Auburn is a team that, look, if it wasn't for, for, for me this, for the, the, the kicker, the field goal yeah. kicker for, for yeah. last week, Yep. Auburn was done for. I mean, they win the game right there. So you go into yep. overtime and, and, and battle beat Mizzou. Auburn's hungry for a win. It's going to be at home. So once you get those pregame jitters out the way and once the Tigers really get to rolling, the outcome I do feel rolls in our favor. But, you know, you you got to pay attention to that part of the game. We have to be smart and let's not leave this youngster. This is the SEC game, big life, big stage, loud crowd. Yep. They're going to try to get them startled. You know, you have to pay attention on third down for different twists and games. Yeah, practice, you may be blocking one guy. He fakes like he's going one way. Be, be, be disciplined with your eyes. Open your mouth as an offensive lineman. Twist, twist, twist. Pass yeah. it off. Hey, they're blitzing, blitzing. So now your quarterback's aware of that. Other offensive linemen know what's going on. And, and, and that verbal communication with a young line, a, a mixed-up line, is going to, be, going to be super important this weekend. I love it. That's the that's the analysis I love coming from my man Marlon Favorite. You're the best. Thank you for spending some time with us, and uh, uh, we look forward to talking with you down the road, man. You're the best. Thank you. Love you, man. Oh, my brother, three three seven Lafayette Flat Area, brother. I love y'all. Look, the food's delicious. Keep it going, baby. Hello. All right. There's Marlon Favorite. The game wants you to face your worst nightmares by hooking you up with tickets to one of the top haunted attractions in the country, the 13th gate. Just text the word gate to 337-283-8100 to enter to win a pair of general admission passes. That's gate to 337-283-8100. Get your scare on this Halloween season at the 13th gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Um, Fish and chips. Uh... Shepherd's pie, all the ale you can drink. That's where the Saints are. Are they practicing hard? What's going on? We'll get the latest from New Orleans in London when we return to the Jordy Heltbrook Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
we are back 37 minutes after the hour. It's day three of the New Orleans Saints in their stayover in London. Meanwhile, Minnesota is still in the land of uh, thousands of lakes. They're going to leave on Thursday, get to London on Friday. So we'll see. Uh, let's talk about the New Orleans Saints. We welcome in a new guest. Thrilled to have Al Salas on, a writer for Canal Street Chronicles, host of the NFL podcast, The Final Drive. You can follow him on Twitter at A-A-S-A-L-A-S 98. That's at A-A-S-A-L-A-S 98. Al, welcome aboard. Great to have you on, man. How's the world? Hey, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today, man. Oh, that's great. Okay, so they're calling it a rest day for Jameis Winston. You buying into that? Because he didn't practice today. <laughs> I mean, I think at this point you kind of have to, right? We know obviously the four fractures of Jameis is back as well as the nicked up ankle. And I believe Nick Underhill just posted on NewOrleansFootball.com. Uh, Jameis mentioned he's also rehabbing his hip flexors, which that's a whole different animal as far as on top of the back, the ankle. And it's just kind of, it's a situation to where Dennis Allen says that Jameis wants to be rested up to play every week, but he's obviously not 100%. And it's just a very perplexed situation as to we really just don't really know what's going on here. Like, <laughs> the guys hurt, put the best 11 on the field. Don't they need to sit him? I mean, that's why you signed Andy Dalton. He's seven. I know his numbers aren't that impressive, but he started, he started. 141 games in the NFL. Uh, he's been there and done that. Uh, does a does a backup Andy Dalton give you a better chance to win than a banged up, beat up starter? I think it's a great question because obviously Andy Dalton, you know, his career throughout with with the Bengals, uh, there were some highs and some lows, obviously. And then in Dallas and then with Chicago last year, the backup. Look, this team went nine and eight last year with you know five different quarterbacks, no receivers whatsoever. Um, I think you kind of have to look at, you know, Andy Dalton and think, you know, he does maybe give you the best chance right now. Because I think the problem with Jameis Winston on top of the injuries, I feel like Jameis is trying to play hero ball every yep. down, it seems like, and trying to go for the home run players with the And it's just, it, it's not working right now. Dalton, I think at this moment, gives the Saints the best chance to win with a soft schedule in this first half of the season. It gets a lot tougher in the second half. I think you need Jameis more for that second half of the season compared to right now. All right. Um, do you like how the Saints have handled this? Like I said, you know, they left Charlotte, right? You know, midnight after their loss. That must have been a, a an awful plane flight across the pond. They got in Monday, so this is their third day in London. Uh, meanwhile, Minnesota back home uh, and doing their normal routine, and then they're going to fly over later. Um, advantage, disadvantage to either one, or do we just have to wait and see how the game plays out? <laughs> That's a good question, Georgia. I think, you know, you got to wait for the Obviously, for the Saints, they were in uh, they were in Charlotte for the Panthers game and then having to fly back to New Orleans, for, stay for a couple of days in town, and then go back all the way to London. It just kind of makes sense to stay where you're at, travel right away to London, get situated, and get kind of uh, accustomed to the, the time zone changes, obviously, because, I mean, this game is going to be starting at 8.30 in the morning our time yeah. here. So, I mean, is there an advantage to it? You could say that, but I think it's just going to matter. We'll see how the players react uh, on Sunday. Isn't this like a kind of a 
emergency mini camp of sorts where they get away. Look, they don't have to read all the hometown press if they don't want to. Um, there's not as much <laughs> media covering them as it would be if they were at home. Um, and they get to do football 24 seven. They're away from their families. It's just, it seems to me, this might be the perfect time uh, for the saints to focus on the task at hand, eliminate distractions and, and try to become the team that we all think they could be. Well, and I think, you know, the last two weeks in particular, I, I believe the defense, I think we all believe the defense did enough to win at home against Tampa and then on the road against the Panthers. Uh, obviously, this offense has a lot to figure out. You know, no Sean Payton for the first time this year. No Drew Brees with, you know, the experience at the quarterback position. So it's kind of new for Pete Carmichael and Jack Winston kind of working together their first year, really. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be a nice little break to get away from all the headlines and all the uh, you know, the distractions to the Saints, you know, Sean, that was Sean's biggest thing was to not get into the headlines. Don't fight. Don't, don't take the cheese as he would say right. to his players. So right. I think this, this is the perfect opportunity for the team maybe to get away from all that focus on what is going on here in Minnesota and just get the win in London. Al Salas kind enough to join us with Canal street chronicles amongst the many things that he participates in. Uh, if you could put your finger on a couple, wh- wh- how do you surmise this Saints season so far where it very, very easily could be 0-3 with all three losses coming within your division? They they got a prayer and a miracle in the fourth quarter to beat Atlanta. Didn't look good against Tampa Bay offensively. Didn't look good. And look, they played one quarter of offense out of 12, right? So right. how do we jumpstart this thing? Oh, I think it all comes down to the quarterback play, Jordy, quite honestly. I mean, obviously, we saw one real good quarter of this offense, in particular the passing game with Jameis Winston against the Falcons. And since that, it's been dormant. And I mean, I know against Tampa and against Carolina, they had a couple of nice drives going, but then they were killed by fumbles. Uh, Ingram in the Tampa game and the Kamara in the Panther game, obviously. So, you know, in the penalties also, I feel like every Saints drive we've seen <laughs> in the last two games has had at least two or three penalties, and you just cannot do that to yourself, especially when this offense is struggling with Jameis is banged up as he is, with the offensive line maybe took a step down, losing Armstead in the offseason, and losing Trevor Pending as well. The line's been kind of shaky, so it played a little better, but you just cannot have these self-inflicted wounds because it will set you back, and you know this offense right now, I believe, just is not quite there to overcome those yet. Do you notice, and I brought this up with someone the other day, but what is the disconnect between Jameis Winston and Alvin Kamara? Kamara doesn't get enough touch. I know he was hurt and missed a game, but even when he wasn't, he's not getting the touches that he needs, either running it or coming out and catching the dadgum ball out of the backfield. He's your best weapon. Get him the ball. Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> you don't need the all-22 film to see that Kamara has been getting open, whether it's in the flats, uh, you know, or, or just simply he's open every time it feels like and Jameis is, for whatever reason, not seeing Alvin Kamara. I think it goes back to Jameis. You know, I don't want to say old tendencies are back for Jameis quad yet, but it's just a matter of Jameis is not going through all of his reads yet. He's, it just seems like he's going for the home run, the home run ball every time, whether it's Chris Olave or, you know, whoever. But Kamara, Thomas, Landry, these guys are getting open in the short and intermediate passing game. And for whatever reason, Jameis just has not seen them, and I think to get this offense started up, 
it all comes down to getting a couple of nice safe passes to your playmaker, being Alvin Kamara, get him in the open field, let him do what he does, move the chains and get the offense energized. So that, that's quite frankly what he does. Because when Breeze saw nothing open, check on the Kamara every single time. Yeah. Isn't that coaching? I mean, don't we have to put the microscope on Pete Carmichael as well? I mean, I know it's his first time as the full-time offensive coordinator, uh, but that, they meet all week. I mean, I, I, you see it. I see it. Why don't they see it? <laughs> it's a great question, Jordy, and I think it all comes down to may- maybe some of us, including myself, maybe maybe took for granted that, that the fact that Sean Payne was leaving it. It's just boot. And so Pete Carmichael, he knows the offense. He knows the system. Yeah, and we're good really to go. Good. And then quite just isn't like that. Uh, I think the big buzz around training camp when Peyton was gone was that it was a lot more relaxed, a lot more less stressful for players. And I think, you know, when Peyton was in camp, he ran a tight ship. He made sure everything was down, was down precisely to the last mm-hmm. detail. And players knew what their jobs were. They knew what they were doing. They knew the audibles, you know, X, Y, Z, yada, yada, yada. And I think this first year with Pete Carmichael, we kind of seen a little more laid back and, I just don't know if that meshes in jails right now because this offense, there's no urgency in this offense, no matter yeah. how you're looking at it. N- none. I'm with yeah. you. Uh, Al Salas with us. I'm, I'm not trying to jinx the Saints, but uh, they've never lost in London. They're 3-0 and all time uh, playing uh, across the the ocean in, in London. So uh, we'll see if they can make it 4-0. and To make it 4-0, and what do you think are the keys against the Minnesota Viking team that started off the season with a big win over Green Bay? Um, they, you know, uh, great wide receivers, uh, a serviceable quarterback. Some people are high on Kirk Cousins. Some people are low on Kirk Cousins. I don't know if Dalvin Cook's going to play, but he's a really good running back. And I think of that defense that, you know, I think of Daniel Hunter and some others. Uh, what are the Saints? How do they come up with a win? against a pretty darn good team. Well, I think it comes down to two big things. One on offense, one on defense. Defensively, I believe, the Lions showed you last week, Jeff Okuda, who was coming off the torn uh, Achilles last year for the Lions, uh, absolutely locked out just Jefferson, man on man, six targets, three catches, 14 yards, which uh, I don't think nobody saw it coming as far as that matchup is concerned. So I believe if you just have Marshall Lattimore shadow Jefferson, much like they did uh, in Christmas a couple years ago when it was at the Superdome, Okay. You can take it out just as Jefferson. I believe the defense can handle the rest as far as the Vikings offense is concerned. Because I saw, we saw the Minnesota offense struggle against the Lions for three quarters of that game. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think offensively, <laughs> look, it's, it's quite simple. Get your playmakers involved. We know how, we know what Kamara can do. If Thomas and Landry can play, we know what they can do. Olave had a really good game last week. We know what Ingram is capable of. Get the get the receivers, get some tight ends involved. And I think that's the biggest thing with the Saints offense. It's the lack of a safety blanket at the tight end position, whether it's uh, Taysom Hill, Jawan Johnson, somebody needs to step up in the tight end room and be kind of become that blanket for, you know, Jameis or Dalton, whoever's playing the quarterback uh, from here to that, because we need something offensively to get, this, to get the juice flowing. It just has not been there through these first three weeks. I'm with you. I, I think uh, if he's healthy, Taysom Hill's got to be, become more involved somehow, some way. Whatever happened to Adam Troutman? Thought he was having a great preseason. Now he's non-existent. <laughs> he's back to he's back to having costly penalties again. It looks like, and I mean, ah, he was going to have a great year. Al. Had, I really did. <laughs> we had 
maybe some some high unfair expectations for Chapman going in the last year as a starter, but nonetheless, it seems like all the progress he made throughout camp and in the preseason has completely gone away. You know, he's been absolutely yeah. quiet in this offense. Quite, quite frankly, Juwan Johnson has been more buzz. He's he's become better as a run blocker. You know, he's a couple of nice catches, and you know. Where is Trotman <laughs> once again? I'm with you. I, 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 that's befuddles me. But give me Taysom Hill. Give me some Alvin Kamara, um, and, and and that'll open up things down the road. I, I don't know uh, if Michael Thomas is going to play or not. That's another big question mark. He wasn't in practice. Uh, he keeps getting banged up, and his availability is unknown at this point in time. We'll have to wait and see. So much depending on it. Do you give the Saints a three as three point? underdogs um the line uh over under is 43 and a half they think it's going to be a low scoring game how do you see it turning out yeah i mean low scoring might be too kind to this offense right now shorty i mean you know especially if thomas and landry cannot go you're going to rely on you're going to rely on chris a lot of big wide super ones for this offense and you know, whether it's Jameis or any Dalton quarterback we'll have to wait and see how that turns out i think this defense can hold minnesota low enough to to keep the Saints in this game, much like we've seen the last two games. <laughs> now it's just a matter of can this offense make some plays when they need to uh, to win this game. And quite frankly, I'm not 100% sure on that because it's <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. I, I will say the Saints can squeak out the victory here and come back to the Saints with a victory. Yeah. Uh, the Saints signed receiver Keith Kirkwood to the practice squad. He's um, he's practicing. Michael Thomas, questionable. Jarvis Landry, you mentioned. Traquan Smith all left last week's loss uh, to the Carolina Panthers, all banged up. So so we shall see. But, Al, I, I can't thank you enough. Outstanding job, uh, do, uh, not only on the radio, but writing for Canal Street Chronicles. You're the host of the NFL podcast, The Final Drive. And, folks, if you want a good Twitter feed, uh, uh, follow uh, at A-A-S-A-L-A-S-98. At A-A-S-A-L-A-S-98. Al, thank you so much, man. Uh, At least we get to watch the game early, and then we can get on with our day on Sunday. So I appreciate the time, man, very much. (laughs) Always a pleasure, Jordy. Appreciate it, man. All right, buddy. You take care. Uh, Al Salas with the latest on the New Orleans Saints. Um, as they're do look, they, they're three and oh, this is the plan they've always followed. Uh, getting there early, getting acclimated. So let's roll with it. Let's roll with it. Let's also roll with Trail T R A I L. They're putting on the Sugar Man Triathlon and Duathlon this Sunday, October 2nd at Sugar Mile, Sugar Mill Pond in Youngsville. Spectators are invited. It's an all-road sprint, 5,500-meter swim, 15-mile bike ride through Sugar Mill Pond Development. Volunteers receive free food, drinks, and a shirt. For more information or to register, visit L.A. Trail. That's L-A-T-R-A-I-L dot org. Trail is a nonprofit dedicated in building and improving outdoor recreation and local parks. And we don't need Brett Favre's help at all. All. Whoa, we'll take a quick time out. We'll come back. We'll wrap up our number one. This is the Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. A recent survey said that game listeners prefer our station than filing their taxes. 
Take that, taxes. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Park International will be a buzz this Saturday for Latin Music Fest. The family-friendly event puts the spotlight on the beautiful and bold Latin culture in our community. Celebrate the bold tastes and sounds of Latin culture. Admission is 10 bucks. Kids 12 and under get in free. And Cuban superstar Sima Funk headlines the lineup of Latin artists. That's Latin Music Fest this Saturday from 4 to 10 p.m. at Park International in downtown Lafayette. For more information, visit festivalinternational.org. That ought to be fun. Lots of things going on, man. Triathlons, duathlons, music fests, uh, all kinds of stuff coming up and, and happening right in your neighborhood. So what a great place Acadiana is and the surrounding areas. It's just awesome. Hour number two straight ahead. We'll go around the SEC. We'll talk about the biggest games in college football for week number five here on the Jordy Hulpert Show, on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the Tigers and the Astros in southwest Louisiana. Live and local, this is the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone, it's a Saints touchdown! It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. Hour number two of two, and away we go with college basketball practices underway. Heck, Lake Charles uh, has the the Houston Rockets in town using their facility, uh, holding preseason camp as we speak. But, of course, the focus is on college football, and we're coming down to some very, very good matchups in the SEC this week. Did you know that there are five undefeated teams in the Southeastern Conference overall? There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams that are unbeaten in league play. So uh, equally as important for both. Uh, and away we go, and we bring in our good friend to talk about this coming week in the SEC, and that's uh, at 14 Southeastern's Blake Lavelle. He does uh, football, basketball, baseball. He's part of the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, the, the Bible of college hoops. Blake, always good to talk to you, my friend. How are you? Yeah, doing well, Jordy. Good to talk to you as always. Um, let's see. What was your biggest takeaway? Uh, one quick question about week four. What was your biggest takeaway from, from that week in the league? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that we kind of saw the resurgence of, of Texas A&M. I think that was undoubtedly probably the biggest um, okay. thing, you know, for them to, to pick up that win against Arkansas. I think you kind of saw, all right, like they they can get back to where everyone thought they would be at some point this season. Maybe I said going in, you know, I didn't think they were a top-10 team to start the season, but preseason polls are meaningless. It's a matter of starting the yeah. season, see how teams play out, and, uh, and do it that way. So I thought A&M – you know, making getting a win like that is just—I mean, it was as big as it gets. So I thought that that was kind of the biggest takeaway. I mean, elsewhere, I think it's pretty clear that you know a team like Tennessee is is deserving of being a top ten team, and I think that you know we're just seeing what they can do offensively. I think Hendon Hooker is undoubtedly you know one of the best players in the country in terms of just putting up the numbers in that offense. So 
those are the biggest things, you know, elsewhere. Okay. I, I, honestly, like, Jordy, I think, like, Auburn and Missouri was just uh, – if you watch that game from start to finish, I would congratulate anybody because that no was one of the tougher SEC games I've watched. Uh, it was just tough. So. Let, let me ask you this, Blake. If the thicker kicker from Mizzou had made that chip shot at the end, <laughs> would we have an interim coach at Auburn this week facing LSU? Yes, I, I answer that with full confidence. We would. Yeah. Um, I think they would have made a move uh, with that because, uh, you know, and that's the thing. It's like you come out of that game and God, you're you're looking at it, Jordy, as though both teams lost, and that's never a good thing, um, yeah. especially when you're a coach on the hot seat. And that's, I think, kind of the situation, Auburn. If they'd have lost that game, I think he'd have been fired. Um, Blake Lavelle with us. We'll get to the LSU-Auburn game. I, I can't recall. I know it happened before, but – LSU a nine point favorite on the road going to Auburn. Yeah. That says says an awful lot. But let's talk about some of the real real good games this weekend. There's a bunch of them. Um, we're going to find out somebody's going to lose their first game. Kentucky goes on the road to face Ole Miss in Oxford. I think it's going to be a heck of a game. I've, we've talked about it before. But I think I've slighted Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels. They're pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, they are, and, and I think this is finally the game that everybody's been waiting for with Ole Miss because you're like, okay, now we get to really get a sense of who they are. Um, but I think this is just such a, a fascinating matchup because you do have Ole Miss, um, like we said, who has pretty much done exactly what you would want them to do at this point. You can talk about the schedule and all that, but they've beaten teams. And, you know, I, last week against Tulsa, I, I even told you, I thought that was kind of a sneaky matchup because Tulsa, yep. best passing yep. offense in the country, Kentucky going to present some challenges. We know from their passing offense, they got a first-round quarterback in the NFL in terms of uh, Will Levis leading the way. They're going to get Chris Rodriguez back. I think that's going to give Kentucky a huge boost in terms of their running game. I'll tell you, Jordy, I am actually going to go with Kentucky in this game. I know they're mm. they're the underdog here. Um, you know, I, I just we've seen them do this against Florida. I think this is not the exact same matchup, but clearly Ole Miss. I think is still trying to figure out their quarterback situation, although, you know, they feel a little more confident now. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball necessarily the way that they have been in terms of just, you know, running it down people's throats. So Mm -hmm. this should be a great game. I I truly mean that. I I just think Kentucky, we've seen it to this point. Like, they've gone on the road beat Florida. I think they may be able to do it again here. All right, that's that's one of uh, a couple of good matchups. Arkansas lost the heartbreaker uh, to A and M. Alabama Cruz got their passing game in order. Um, Arkansas looking to bounce back. They're hosting Nick and the uh, Crimson Tide. Is the uh, is Alabama on upset alert, or you think they're they're fifteen and a half point favorites in this thing? Yeah, that's an interesting one because I, I think you know I talked about this game earlier in the week and. I feel like now, with, with what I said then, I feel like maybe I'm I'm overreacting to Arkansas losing to A&M, and I think I may be looking at Alabama and not trying to kind of focus in on that game against Texas because I don't feel like this Alabama team, um, like this is another test for them on the road. And, yes. you know, what we saw the first time around was not that impressive, and this is still a team that has had more penalty issues than we're used to and I think going on the road in that environment in Fayetteville, which is going to be rocking, um, you know, I think this game is, is a lot closer than, than maybe people think. And, of course, that spread. Um, I, I think the only issue I have with Arkansas here is, and you've seen it, Jordy, they're secondary. They have just Terrible. given up so yeah. many big plays. And yeah. when you have Bryce Young 
on the other side, and you've kind of seen, you know, Burton emerges last week, and you know he's a big option for them at Alabama. Um, I just I worry for Arkansas that Alabama is just going to pick them apart uh, in terms of what they can do uh, in the passing game. Now, they do get Slusher back this week for Arkansas. That's really going to help. Um, he's coming back from injury. I think that'll help him there. But there are still some issues, and, and I wonder how quickly those can be fixed. Because if they're not, I do think it's a scenario where Alabama could put up you know, 40-something points here. Um, and can Arkansas keep up against that Alabama defense? That's probably yeah. the biggest question I would have for yeah. the Hawks. Heck, Arkansas's two starting safeties are going to be starting for LSU this weekend um, yeah, right. in, in, on the plane. So it's a crazy, crazy world. Hey, I think I think Bryce Young in Alabama, I, I think their passing game's too much in Arkansas. You can't yeah. get that better that quickly um, and all of a sudden become a, a shutdown defensive uh, secondary. I just think Alabama has a field day there. Um, are you surprised that after their win over Arkansas, that Texas A&M is going on the road to Mississippi State as a as a ranked team playing an unranked team, and they're underdogs in this. State's a three-point favorite. Are you surprised by that? I'll tell you what's funny. is We've kind of talked about this the past couple of weeks in that um, it, it is a situation where Vegas has like gotten A&M right the past two weeks. And I think this is one because, you know, we were looking at it even a couple of weeks ago, Jordy, yeah, I was trying to figure out how in the world were they five and a half point favorites against Miami. I just I could not fathom it, and and yet you know you look how that played out. And then last week it's like for some reason I was like why is Texas being in the favorite against Arkansas? They had to figure it out there. I think this week against Mississippi State, you're looking at a situation where for starters, I think the issue here becomes if the Mississippi State passing game gets going early, I worry that for A and M. If this game becomes where they get down early, let's say by double digits, and they have to pass the ball, I don't, I don't know if they can do that in terms yep. of doing it effectively to play catch up. And I think that's what you worry about with A and M here against Mississippi State because, and maybe that's what you know the odds makers are saying, and understanding that they did lose, you know, Anaya Smith as well, and you know you kind of look at that aspect and you wonder, okay, maybe that's something else where you're taking away a big playmaker in that passing game. The passing game was already not great to begin with. And so if they get in a situation here where they're having to play catch up and have to put up points, because I think A&M is going to score, or excuse me, I think Mississippi State's going to score some here, even against that A&M defense. Um, I think that's probably the issue here for A&M on the road against Mississippi State. They got some good tape to watch. LSU did a phenomenal job in, in limiting Mississippi State to what they wanted to do. Uh, but seems like every year State has one game where they surprise people a couple of years ago was they go into tiger stadium and just blitzkrieged LSU. I mean, tore them apart. Um, I'm with, I, I like Mississippi state in this one. I just, I, I think in a, I, you know, A&M can't get into a, sh- a shooting match with them. They just can't now, now their basketball team can, there's no doubt about <laughs> that, but, but not their football team, big guy, not their football team. Yeah. Um, LSU at Auburn. LSU, I mentioned LSU's a nine-point favorite in this one. They've had so many great games. I mean, in so many magical moments. Both teams, when they won their national championship of late, uh, the biggest struggle they had was Auburn at home against LSU and then LSU taking on Auburn in 2019 and winning by, by two or three points. So these games are always close, which really surprises me with that nine-point spread? Well, and like you said earlier, I, I think, Jordy, it just tells you 
what the, the thought is on Auburn right now. And I think deservedly so, um, because yeah. I just, you're talking about a team that I, I feel like, again, even winning that game against Missouri, you're not coming out of that game feeling better about Auburn than you were going into it. And, and you weren't feeling great going into it. So I think that's the issue here. I just think that they, you know, we talk about passing offenses. I, I just don't know where it is. We're Auburn. Um, we know take bigs, we can run the ball. But I just think there are a lot of scenarios here where LSU, we've seen them progressively get better since week one against Florida State. I said it before, I think there was a lot of just quick overreaction to that first game, which is understandable. You know, everybody's excited for the season. But you've seen them start to progress in some of these areas. And I think up front, defensively, LSU is going to be able to really cause some problems here for Auburn. And, again, you're talking about a team in Auburn that has to rely on running the ball because I don't think they have much of a passing offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where LSU takes advantage of this game. Wouldn't be surprised if this is low scoring, but I just, if you ask me 10 times, I would probably pick LSU all 10 times because I yeah. just don't look at Auburn right now as a team that I feel like can, can probably hang with an LSU at this point. The only way Auburn can win this thing is if LSU helps them. And if that means turnovers, yeah. special team gaffes, stuff like that, Uh, I'm with you. All right, we all have Georgia number one in the SEC, Alabama number two. Who is uh, Blake Lavelle at 14 Southeastern's (laughs) third best team in the league this week? I'm going to kind of keep it where, I mean, I've had Arkansas all season long, and I told you that, but I'm going to move up the team I had right behind them just by default. And I'm going to put Tennessee there. I just think that, again, Tennessee flawless defensively, not by any means, but – I just think that with the way they can score, they are going to have a chance to beat anybody they play. And I do mean anybody. Like I think against Alabama, against Georgia. Um, You know, Georgia, I'm not saying they're going to beat them, but I think when they have that kind of offense and what they can do, I'm going to put Tennessee right there in that spot. All right. That's number three. Who you got number four? Kentucky, Ole Miss, Arkansas? (sighs) Who you got? Yeah, I think I would still leave Kentucky there. I think, again, this weekend will be big for that. Um, mm-hmm. in that four spot, but I think I put Kentucky there for now. Um, but again, I think if they, you know, to me, it's probably a battle. Whoever wins this game this weekend, they're going to hold that number four spot for me, um, at least in the next week, because I think that's probably your battle for fourth in my I, opinion right now. I think you hit the nail on the head with Tennessee, how they, you know, they could beat anybody. And I think when you, when you yeah. look at LSU and, and what they, where they were and where they are, and if they continue to ascend like that, there's, you know, they could win. They could beat everybody on their schedule, but unfortunately they could also lose to everybody on their schedule. There's <laughs> right. that thin line. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're, they're a wild card. And I think, you know, we talked about four teams in particular in the West heading into the year. We talked about LSU, um, Auburn, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss. We said, I, you know, there was a lot to figure out with those four teams in my opinion. Um, but now we're starting to see that separation. You've seen it with Ole Miss. You've seen what Mississippi State's still capable of, even though they lose that game to LSU. You've seen it with LSU, and Auburn's obviously been the team that's fallen furthest behind. So I think it is because, you know, scheduling-wise, knowing that you go to Auburn, they got Tennessee next week, Florida, you know, go down the line. The rest of the teams you're going to play are all top 25-ish type teams. So it is one where I think it's going to be kind of fun to see this LSU team over the next several weeks, but this is a big one this weekend. If you don't beat this one, 
then you start to look Ooh. at that schedule, Jordy, and you're like, oh, boy. Um, yeah. You know, we, we yeah. got to figure some things out after that. So. Yeah, boy. It's, the gauntlet gets a little bit tougher. They better win this one. Blake Lavelle at 14 Southeastern. Uh, thank you, my friends. Always great talking to you, buddy. Really do appreciate it. You got it, Jordy. Thanks as always. All right. He's the best. Blake Lavelle telling it like it is. Um, let's see. Time to face your worst nightmares with the game's 13th gate giveaway. We have your VIP tickets for the legendary haunted house attraction that you can scream over and over again while others have to wait in line. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today to win a pair of VIP tickets to the 13th Gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and the Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Hump Day with Huguenin, next on the Jordy Helpert Show on the Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We'll be back. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin of On3.com. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I... I uh... I come on and with Michael Huguenin from on3.com. I consider a good friend. He's been a part of my shows for years and all. He lives in Orlando with his family and they are in harm's way with Hurricane Ian. And our thoughts and prayers to you, your family and everyone in the path of this monster. How are you, man? How's everything going so far? Yeah, so far it's just it's been raining for about ten hours, and it's obviously not going to stop for a while. This, this, you know, people in Louisiana know what yeah. slow moving storms can do, and this is an extremely yeah. slow moving storm. Um, we're about one hundred fifty miles from where it's going to make landfall, but the problem is it's moving like ten miles an hour, so uh, it, it won't be here until overnight. It, you know, that I don't like storms that hit overnight, but it's going to be. A, they're telling us a 12-hour um, window, so to speak, and the county I live in is north of Orlando. 20 inches of rain is the forecast. Yeah. So um, it rains a lot in Florida anyway. The, current, the ground's already inundated. But, again, people in Louisiana know all about hurricanes, and you basically sort of have to just, like, you know, grin and bear it. I yeah. don't think anybody's really grinning, but, yeah. you know, we're, we're as ready as we can be. Just the, the losing the power is going to be the is always the main issue yeah that's the issue um god that's uh prayers big guy let's let's divert you and distract you a little bit yeah uh and let's talk about your love and that's college football uh, and all things college sports uh what was what was your biggest takeaway from last weekend of games well i I, i'm still stunned that miami lost especially in the manner in which they did yeah. Um, Middle Tennessee State's receivers were faster and better than Miami's cornerbacks, hmm. and, and that that's that should if you're a college football fan, that statement should sort of make your head explode because that's the case. Middle Tennessee scored on three touchdown passes of 69 plus yards, where its receiver basically ran past Miami's corner. Um, that, that's embarrassing if you're Miami. That's why Mario Cristobal is there. I think if you watch Florida play last Saturday and you watch Miami play last Saturday, you're thinking to yourself, 
do these schools not have defensive backs who can run? And right. the answer is no, they don't, which is why they have new coaches. So um, losing, you know, losing to Middle Tennessee at home, that should never happen to Miami. And if you watch, you saw you know, the stadium's two-thirds empty, and that's what Cristobal has to recruit against as well. You know, there were people out there saying, oh, this Miami team could win 10. Well, this Miami team, you know, no, no, they, they never could win 10. They're right. not going to win nine. They might win seven because it's a bad roster. And when Middle Tennessee State receivers run past Miami cornerbacks, that in a nutshell is wrong, which what's wrong with Miami. Mike Hugan with us. Um, you know, Tulane used to play their games in the Superdome. It is very similar. It's not on campus. The, the place was 90% empty. They had the wherewithal. They built a small little stadium right there on campus, and they're they're flourishing. They're they're doing well. What are the chances of Miami doing something like that? Is there any place to build something? That's the issue. I grew up in Miami. Uh, Miami's in Coral Gables, which is an extremely tony suburb. Yeah. Uh, extremely. Yeah. Uh, and not everybody in Coral Gables is enamored with the idea of having a football stadium within a mile of their house. Right. A mile of their million dollar plus home, That's so right. it, it's and the, the the Miami campus is self contained and it's they don't have a lot of land on which to build a stadium. Um, that's going to be you know that, that there's they want to build a stadium, uh, whether it's on campus or not is is a gigantic question. Um, and the part of the issue with Miami is they're playing at Pro Player or Joe Rob whatever it's called these days Hard Rock. Yeah. It's right. a long way from the Miami campus. And yep. there's actually a school of thought, well, if you can't build it on campus, at least build it closer to campus. And there are a couple of sites that are within um, probably 10 miles of the UM campus, all owned by the city or the county. The question is whether the city or county wants to turn over a park to the University of Miami. So that's going to be an interesting aspect. But, you know, recruiting solves a lot of problems, and that's why Cristobal was brought in. Uh, and let's get serious. If Miami were good, the stadium would be packed because there's enough bandwagon fans down there that, that would go to games. But you, you can't lose to Middle Tennessee State. I don't care where you're playing. That was, that, mm-hmm. that was an embarrassing loss, and it comes, I think, four years after Miami lost to FIU. Yep. So <laughs> Miami's not in a good place right now. Mike Hugan and On3.com. In the SEC, what surprised you more? Florida losing only by five in Knoxville or Arkansas losing by two to Texas A&M in Arlington? I think, well, I was surprised Florida kept it within five. And, heck, they were throwing into the end zone. They had a chance to throw into the end zone on a final play for to steal I'm a win. Um, Arkansas, you know, if you watch that game early, you're like, my God, they're going to blow these guys out. Yep. And had yep. they scored to make it 21-7, I think Arkansas would have won. But that game turned on one play. Mm-hmm. Um, Arkansas is getting ready to score to make it 21-7. Instead, there's a fumble, return for a touchdown, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a dogfight, and, and yep. A&M won the dogfight. Um, and then you got Arkansas having to play Alabama this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest, I was more surprised by LSU winning in the manner in which they did. I mean, they okay. – Dominated get to fourth that. quarter and, and pulled away from Mississippi State with, for an extremely nice win. And now Mississippi State has to play Texas A&M. So the SEC West, it's starting to really get, 
yeah, down to the nitty gritty here, and it's, we're still it'll be the first week of September. So, I mean, the first weekend of, of October, rather. So, things are getting interesting in the league. Um, Kentucky Ole Miss this week is going to be a, a very interesting yeah. game, especially when you consider that Tulsa ran for two sixty four on that. Ole Miss last, or two sixty two rather yeah. on Ole Miss last week. So well, we're going to get to we're going to get to that game. So we're going to get to that game in a minute, Mike. I, I'm, I'm curious if the thicker kicker from Missouri had made that chip shot and Missouri wins in regulation, are we talking about an interim coach for Auburn yes. taking on LSU this yes. weekend? Not, not only did – I think he's the best kicker in the SEC. He missed that short field goal, and then they have a chance to win it in overtime, and Nathaniel Pete, you know, reaching it out to get the ball over the – goal line so he's not tackled short instead fumbles out of the end zone and Auburn sort of steals a win uh, yeah I think that had Auburn lost to that, that's a bad Missouri team yeah. uh, and I know Auburn had quarterback problems and quarterback injuries uh, still if, if Auburn had lost that game Harson would have, yeah I think there's no doubt but that Harson would have been fired give me your top five teams in college football you got Georgia number one Georgia one, Ohio State two, Alabama three, and I really—I mean, those are the—you know—those were the three teams everybody thought were going to be the three right. best this season. I think they are clearly and distinctly the three best. Though I would argue that Alabama's offense isn't near as good as I thought it would be, at least not yet. Yeah. Number four, I'm, I don't know. I mean, maybe you know, Michigan, maybe uh, USC, maybe, but both those teams were less than impressive last week. Um, I, I'm not buying Clemson. Um, you know, oh my God, look what Clemson did. Look how many points he scored. Ooh, young LA, it was hot. It's going yeah. against Wake Forest. Wake Forest's best corner is a transfer from Harvard. So let's mm. not go overboard with what Ooh, <laughs> young LA did. I work with Ivy Mazel and I haven't wrote a column today about Ooh, young LA. And, you know, he's like, you know, let's tamp the brakes here on, <laughs> on this guy. Um, but I guess, I guess for me, I'd have Michigan four and USC five. Even though okay. I don't think either of those teams truly is that good, I was thinking that Michigan was, and then I watched them play last week, and I'm like, yeah, they got some, they got some issues. And heck, mm-hmm. USC had to throw a touchdown pass with a minute left to beat Oregon State. And Oregon State's extremely well coached, yeah. and they play good defense. But I was surprised that game was that close. I mean, you know, everybody kind of struggled. Georgia didn't play great. You know, they 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 gave up 22 points. They beat Kent State 39-22. There was a bunch of games like that um, uh, going around the the ballpark. No, no question about that. What's Dabo Sweeney? What's the over-under on him either tripping and breaking his leg or pulling a hamstring running down that hill like he does? What's up with that? Yeah, that's that. You know, that sort of is one of the coolest entrances in college athletics. But it is amazing, considering that no one's really ever been hurt running down that hill. And those dudes, they fly down the hill. Um, it is sort of you do. I'll be honest. I've watched that entrance a hundred plus times over the last twenty plus years, and yeah. you're like, one of these days, some of these players are going to get tripped up by teammates, and they're going to get hurt happen. because they yep. do fly down that hill. No question. It's going to happen. All right, let's take a quick time out here. That was the weekend that was. We got some really interesting matchups this week in college football, particularly several in the SEC. We'll get Mike Huguenin's thoughts on that from on3.com after this quick time out here 
on the Jordy Helpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. The Jordy Holberg Show prides itself on settling for nothing less than the best. This thing has a variety of nauseating aspects to it. Jordy has the best takes, the best guests, and let's be honest, the best nickname. The Blonde Bomber is cool as hell. I agree. All right. Let's play ball. Back to only the best on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Eh, we didn't play Florida in the beautiful O'Connell Center. We played him in Alligator Alley. And Mike Huguenin from On3.com knows all about Alligator Alley, buddy. Welcome back. I used to play, um, I went to Florida, obviously. We played uh, intramural basketball there for five yeah. years. Um, and saw a couple concerts there as well. There you go. All right, let's talk about week five of college football. Some really good games. I want your thoughts Number seven, Kentucky at number 14, Ole Miss. They'll be serving mimosas in the Grove. Does Chris Rodriguez's uh, return impact this game significantly because Ole Miss runs it 200 yards better per game than Kentucky? Yeah, I think that Chris Rodriguez's return is gigantic for Kentucky. Also an issue for Kentucky's pass protection has been pitiful. Will Levis has been sacked 16 times in four games. Mm. That's the most sacks allowed by any Power 5 team. Obviously, having Rodriguez in the backfield, you know, nothing against Cavassier Smoke, but if you're an opposing defense, you're happy to see Cavassier Smoke back there and not Chris Rodriguez. So uh, my assumption is that the Kentucky offensive coordinator, Rich Scangarello, relies heavily on Rodriguez, if nothing else, to say we got, we got to run the ball to slow down their pass rush. And Ole Miss has a good pass rush. They're second in the SEC with 13 sacks. And again, last week, Tulsa made it a priority to run on Ole Miss, and they ran for 262 and averaged more than six yards a carry. If Chris Rodriguez averages more than six yards per carry and runs for 120 or so, the U.K. is winning this game. So um, this this is going to be interesting because Ole Miss runs the ball effectively. Kentucky's got really good linebackers. This will be the best defense Ole Miss has seen. Um, But Ole Miss's defense has really good numbers. But again, that that, – Rushing number by Tulsa last week was an eye-opener, yeah. and Chris Rodriguez is the key guy, uh, I think. But you're right, this, this game's in Oxford. The crowd's going to be, even though it's an early kickoff, they're going to be well-oiled yeah. at 11 a.m. So this this is a really interesting game. Uh, I think Ole Miss wins because I think okay. the home field will be a gigantic advantage. And maybe Chris Rodriguez has a little bit of rust because he hasn't been hit since, really hit since spring ball. All right. Um, boy, I tell you what, I don't know how Michigan's getting 10.5 points at Iowa. I know last year in the Big Ten Championship, they blew Iowa out 42-3, but that was a different team. This Iowa defense, I don't care who they played, they're, out, they're allowing just 5.8 points per game. The defense has scored two touchdowns and two safeties. This is J.J. McCarthy's first road start and they're getting ten and a half points at Iowa. What do you think? Yeah, they the Kinnick Stadium. I've been there for three games, and I went went as a fan. That place is wild. They are loud. They are nasty. 
and they are extremely close to the field. Um, if you watch a game, you know you can see people basically their, their feet are at the end of the at the edge of the end zone. Um, you can reach over the retaining wall and touch an opposing player. They are that close to the field, so that that's not a good place to play if you're making your first road start as a collegiate. I think the fact that the game is a noon kickoff, 11 a.m. kickoff in Iowa City will actually be helpful to Michigan. But yeah. the Iowa defense is legit. Um, they're always legit defense. Phil Parker is a great defensive coordinator. Um, they don't have a lot of individual stars, but the they, they play extremely well together. They 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 know their assignments. Um, you know, you you watch a game on a typical Saturday and you see three or four assignment busts per game. Um, I would don't make they don't make those. Um, they, they're where they're supposed to be. They do what they're supposed to do. They fill gaps. Um, and Phil Parker, I'm, I'm, my assumption is, okay, Phil Parker's going, we, we got to stop Blake Corm because the Michigan running back is really, he's a stud. If we mm-hmm. stop him, we're in great shape because I, I'm sure Parker feels extremely comfortable. If J.J. McCarthy throws it, fine, let him. He ain't going to beat us with his arm. The problem for Phil Parker also, though, he knows if, if I give up 14 points, I might lose yes. because my That's offense right. is That's garbage. Right. That's a nice way to put it. Iowa's yeah. offense is garbage. So the lower scoring this game is, the better it is for Iowa. I would take the 10.5 all day. Yeah. Um, the problem is, again, if, if, if Michigan scores 17, they're winning. I, That's right. So Iowa's got to keep them to 14 or under. Yeah, first one to double figures wins this thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. It's crazy, man. Crazy. Um, Number 22, Wake Forest at number 23, Florida State. We talked about it. Wake Forest, a double overtime loser at Clemson. Um, Demon Deacons have lost their last five trips to Doak Campbell Stadium. Florida State's improved their rushing attack. Is that the difference? Florida State getting six points at home. Yeah, you also wonder about the hangover effect for Wake Forest because they could have easily beaten Clemson last week. Um, one of the biggest home games in school history, you wonder if they're deflated. Um, the Wake defense is bad. Um, Jordan Travis is not an elite passer, but he's good enough. they got a good receiving core at FSU. The running backs are good. They have a deeper running back room than Clemson does. So Wake, Wake Forest is going to uh, – my, my presumption is Wake Forest goes into this knowing – if we're going to win, we're going to have to score 35 or more. Yeah. Um, can they do that? Yeah, I think they can. Uh, I think Sam Hartman's awesome. Uh, A.T. Perry is a really good receiver. They're extremely deep at receiver at Wake. I don't think Wake's – I'm sorry, I don't think FSU secondary is all that good. But, again, you wonder about the hangover effect from the loss. Before the season, I was convinced that Wake Forest would win this game, even though it was in Tallahassee. FSU is a little bit better than I thought they'd be, mm-hmm. especially their offensive line. Yeah. Uh, and, again, I think that this is going to be another shootout kind of game. Wake Forest is equipped to win those, but the problem is, again, you don't know how they're going to react mentally. They are an extremely right. experienced team with a bunch of 50-year guys and even a handful of 60-year guys because of COVID. Um, I just don't think that they're going to be able to rebound quick enough to beat FSU. At Florida State, the win. Number nine, Oklahoma State at number 16, Baylor. Baylor, two-and-a-half-point home favorite. They split their last eight meetings. Baylor won the Big 12 championship game over Oklahoma State, 21-16. to 
Cowboys had a bye week to prepare. Uh, Spencer Sanders was the quarterback for Stadia, that four-interception game that ended with a goal-line stand. Does Oklahoma State go on the road and upset Baylor? Yeah, I think they do. Um, and you're right. I mean, they should have beaten they should have beaten Baylor last year. They had a shot, and play calling at the end was hmm, things that make you go. I'm a man. Hmm, was the Oklahoma State play called near the end of that game? Um, this is not nearly as good a Baylor defense as it was last year. Oklahoma State's defense is uh, not nearly as good as it was last year. I think Spencer Sanders is better than Blake Shapin, the Baylor quarterback. I think Oklahoma State's got a better offense than Baylor, and even though Baylor's defense isn't as good as last year's, it's still pretty solid. But I think Oklahoma State does win. I thought Oklahoma State was the best Big 12 team going into this season, okay. and I still think they are. But Spencer Sanders, has he played well against eh, rummy opponents early. He needs to play well Saturday, and I think if he plays well, uh, I think they're going to win. And, and by playing well, I mean throwing for 250-plus and maybe 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 one turnover is fine, not yeah. two or three. Um, but I, I think that Oklahoma State is, is better than Baylor, and I think they're going to win the game even though it is in Waco. I think they get their revenge. Number two, Ala, this is Mike Hugan on 3.com, by the way. And number two, Alabama getting 15 and a half points on the road at number 20, Arkansas. All I got to say is one stat. The Razorbacks allow 303 yards per game against the pass. That's all I need to know. Bryce Young, yeah, see you I, later. I think that Alabama's offense isn't near as good as I thought it would be, at least not yet. Um, I thought Jermaine Burton would step right in and be a big-time deep threat. hasn't happened. I thought Jameer Gibbs would step right in and be a 100-yard-a-game guy like clockwork. hasn't happened. Uh, Bryce Young is still Bryce Young. Um, the weapons around him are not as good as they were last year. Uh, and the offensive line in front of him, that's not a very good offensive line, especially considering all the recruited talent there. It's, it's a disappointing unit. Defensively, I think Arkansas is going to have a lot of trouble moving the ball consistently. I think the key guy in this game is an Arkansas player, uh, Raheem Sanders. I think if Raheem Sanders can run for 100, Arkansas has got a great chance not only to beat the spread but actually win the game. Wow. Um, but I don't think he can get 100. I think K.J. Jefferson – you know, as a passer, he's still developing. The Arkansas receivers are nothing special. So, to me, there's a ton of pressure on Raheem Sanders, um, and I think Alabama knows that. If you're Alabama, the idea that, okay, Jefferson and Sanders are good, that's a good, two good running threats out of the backfield. Let's take away Sanders and make K.J. Jefferson beat us with his legs and his arm. Yep. I think Alabama is comfortable uh, thinking, if, that, if we can do that, we're going to win this game. Number 17, Texas A&M at Mississippi State. State, a home three-point favorite over the ranked Aggies. What do you think, quickly? Yeah, and uh, A&M lost to Mississippi State last year in College Station. Um, but for whatever reason, I think LSU fans saw it last week, This uh, Mississippi State offense is not clicking at the in the manner in which I thought it would click this year, considering that mm-hmm. Will Rogers is in his third season as a starter, you know there's still the it's all about the pass um, for for Mississippi State. I think A and M secondary can hold up as long as their linebackers can hold up. Now the linebackers played extremely well last week against a better 
better all-around offense. They did a great job against Arkansas. Um, the the LSU, I'm sorry, the LSU, the A and M offense, it's mm. it's it's not very good, and and mm-hmm. they've lost Denia Smith, their mm-hmm. their best receiver, and probably their best all around offensive player because that dude's a phenomenal blocker for a wide receiver. So a ton more pressure on Devin A Chain, more pressure on Max Johnson. Um, Mississippi State's defense is okay. It's solid. It's not great or anything close to being great. Um, but you know, going to Starkville is never easy for anybody. Um, but you know, I'll be honest. If, if A&M can beat Arkansas, they should be able to beat Mississippi State, even if, they, if even yep. if it's a road game. Um, I'm with so you. I, I think okay. A&M should be expected to win this game. I think the A&M defense steps up, and I think it's going to be hard for Mississippi State to keep Davon Devon a chain under wraps. I think you'll see him play some in the slot because Anaya Smith is gone. They got to get more weapons on the field without Smith and moving a chain to slot might be the best way to do that and bring in one of your, uh, you know, they, they have a pretty mm-hmm. solid running back room, though. No one's close to being as good as a chain, but that, that's what I would do. Move a chain to line him up in a slot at times, keep him in motion, throw to him more, mm-hmm. get him on the outside, put pressure on the Mississippi state defense. So you like the Aggies to win that one. Two like more that. real quickly. I'll take, I'll take um, points, yeah. Yeah, one of the best in the ACC, number 10, NC State at number five, Clemson. It's the prime timer on ABC. The Fighting Dabos getting six and a half at home. Yeah, I think I would take the points because I think NC State has a legit chance to slow down the Clemson offense. Um, NC State defense is on a different stratosphere than Wake's. Um, Wake Forest defense, it's not good. Um, mm-hmm. And and Uyunga Lale took advantage last week. He won't be able to take advantage of NC State secondary. The key guy for me in this one, if you're if you're Tony Gibson, the NC State defensive coordinator, I'm thinking we need to stop Will Shipley, and if we yep. keep him under wraps, we're fine because Uyunga Lale is not going to slice and dice our defense like he did Wake Forest. The right. problem. NC State's offense. I, I'm a huge Devin Leary fan. I think he's a really high level quarterback. I think he's stuck playing for a mediocre offensive coordinator. I think the scheme doesn't take full advantage of his talents. Plus, NC State's receiving core is pedestrian. Their running backs are okay, but the line doesn't always play well. Um, I think NC State, they, they want a close, low-scoring game. They can win a close, low-scoring game. Um, if this game were in Raleigh, I would pick NC State to win. But it's at Clemson. I think Clemson wins, but I would take the points because I think it's going to be exceedingly close because I think the NC State defense can make Uwe Ungole really work. And if he has to really work, I think he struggles because he doesn't see the field as quickly as he should for a guy starting his, what, 20? No, starting his 16th or 17th game. And, And finally, one last one, LSU going to Auburn. Uh, LSU, this game's had more nickname games than you could ever imagine. It seems like every game is close, yet LSU's favored by nine points going into Jordan-Hare Stadium. That's a lot of points yeah, well, to me. If you look at Auburn's offense, that, not, that nine-point spread makes a ton of sense. Because yeah. Auburn's offense, it's, it's bad. Um, <laughs> the Auburn defense is, you know, two weeks ago against Penn State, they got blown out. I don't think they were on the field the whole game because the yeah. Auburn offense was so pitiful. So if, if the LSU defense does its job, 
I think it will be somewhat like last week where LSU pulled away in the second half, in the fourth quarter. Except I don't think the Mississippi State's offense is better than Auburn's. I'm not sure Auburn can score more than 14 points on LSU. So I'm quite comfortable thinking LSU wins this game by double digits, uh, assuming LSU doesn't spit the bit. And, you know, I think these are the kind of games where you look, I'm sure they've watched film and they're thinking to themselves, Auburn is bad. But you can't take that attitude to the field. You need to go out there, step on Auburn's throat early, and make sure this game does not have any interest in the second half. Um, Again, I think Auburn's defense will do its job, but I think it's going to get worn down, and I think LSU wins by double digits. He is Mike Hugan at On3.com. Prayers to you, your family, your neighbors, everybody in Ian's path. Um, You'll get through it, man. Um, So our prayers come on your way. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Talk to you next week. Thanks, man. All right, Mike Hugan and On3.com. Back to wrap it all up after this final timeout here on the Jordy Holtberg Show. Tune in next week to the Jordy Holtberg Show for Hump Day with Huguenin. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Oh, a fun show it was. Special thanks to our guest Marlon Favright on the LSU Tigers, Al Salas on the New Orleans Saints, Blake Lavelle, all things in the Southeastern Conference, and we got uh, all the thoughts of uh, week four and this coming week five of the college football season with Mike Hugan. And don't forget homecoming for the Raging Cajuns against a high-powered offensive club in South Alabama, we'll take you behind enemy lines tomorrow, and the Schwab will give us his uh, picks of this week's games in the NFL. So, James, thank you so much for all you do. Thanks to all of you for listening in, whatever form or fashion that you do. And thanks to our partners that make this possible each and every day. Come on back tomorrow, same time, 2 to 4, same great station, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Until then, I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay healthy. Let's be kind to one another and be happy. So long, everybody.